0: you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, and we dig plants. Our show today is sponsored by Cabot Cheese. For holiday recipes, let the great taste of Cabot Cheese make them even more special. Award-winning Cabot Cheese. 100% of our profits go to New England and New York farm families on the web at CabotCheese.com. So we're broadcasting today from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. And there is on top of this container a garden that produces food for the restaurant. I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we're Groundworks Inc., and we design and build gardens in and around New York City. This show, We Dig Plants, aims to bring the culture to horticulture. So, on today's show, we're going to get literary <laughs> with a great guest, the author Margot Berwin, who's written a book inspired by plants and horticulture called Hot House Flower and the Nine Plants of Desire. Hi,
1: Margot. Hi, Carmen. Hi, Alice. <laughs> so, let me tell you a little bit about Margot. Margot Berwin studied English literature as an undergrad at SUNY Binghamton and received an MFA in creative writing from the New School in 2005 where she was the winner of the Merit Scholarship for Fiction. Her stories have appeared on Nerve.com, in the New York Press, and in the anthology The Future of Misbehavior by Chronicle Books which sounds really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the story I, of my life. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to get that, that anthology. Her first published novel, Hothouse Flower and the Nine Plants of Desire, came out in June 2009, and it has been, been optioned as a film by Sony Pictures and translated into 14 languages, which is amazing. Um, and Margot lives on 9th Street in New York City. So we're so glad that you could be on our show to talk about the book and about your experience with plants. Um, I wanted to put um, Margot's book in a little bit of perspective, um, historical and sort of cultural perspective. Um Magical plants, real or imagined, go way back in history, from the lotus tree in Greek mythology that bore fruit that induced drowsiness, which I think um, some scholars thought might have been the jujube or the date palm, to, um, interestingly, this Raskovic plant, which was a magic plant in Serbian mythology that can open up any lock. Sometimes, when I leave my keys, I wish I had this um, this plant. Um We humans have, um, I think, imbued the plant kingdom with amazing powers. The belief in the man-eating tree of Madagascar, for example, um, which used vine-like structures to capture and kill humans and other large animals has persisted for centuries. Now, this fascination with sort of anthropomorphizing plants carries over into almost every genre of fiction, from the mangaboos, a race of vegetable people in The Wizard of Oz, to the plant men of Baroom, which were a race of humanoid plants from the Martian novels of Edgar Rice Burroughs. So you're in very good company, Margot, with plants and, and <laughs> you know, literature. So I, I think, you know... Uh, when I was trying to understand why plants figure so prominently into so many different genres of literature, I think that part of it is, and maybe it's a small part, but I think because we can't communicate with them, we can't make the kind of connection we can with animals like pets, um, I think we find the plant world a little bit mysterious, a little bit unknowable, and in some ways kind of alienish, alien, and also, I think, dependent on us, you know so i think that's led to some of the creatures that you know and killer plants such as in the day of the triffids i don't know if you guys ever saw that it's a it's a great movie it's um from 1951 it was a movie by john Wyndham, and in it these plants um you know come to life and attack humans there's always like an eco nightmare kind of you know feeling to it doomsday yeah so and you know there's the more contemporary offspring of that movie, which more people will be familiar with, are is the Audrey Jr. from Little Shop of Horrors, you know? Right. So this plant, you know, becomes more and more dependent mm-hmm. on its human host, in a way, you know? So from the frightening, we get into the ridiculous floors. For example, the ones found in Monty Python's Flying Circus. He has... These kinds of plants, the Angolan sauntering tree. Can you imagine that? <laughs> the puking tree of Mozambique. <laughs> and my personal favorite is the Turkish little rude plant. <laughs> I know some little Turkish rude men. <laughs> yeah. So Monty Python always takes it to a whole new yeah. level. Um, so also I noticed most recently, um, I think J.K. Rowling with her like Harry Massive Harry Potter industry. industry. <laughs> I think she's done more than pretty much any popular author to make plants sort of an integral part of the story. Her novels are filled with a host of plants, both real and imaginary, that are used both for good and for nefarious purposes. Let me give you some examples. Some are based in reality, like the Mandrakes, you know, though they don't have the powers that Rowling gives them. There's the honking daffodil, (laughs) the fanged geranium that bites people, and then a really interesting one called the screech snap, a semi sentient plant. That wiggles and squeaks uncomfortably when given too much dragon manure. That happens to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, we don't have that happening when we give too much dragon manure to our (laughs) plants. Thank God. Um, Otherwise, we might lose some clients. Now, my son is not a Harry Potter fan, but he's sort of like more of a gamer. So it's interesting to see how he found his way into the plant world. And he found it versus he found it via Plants vs. Zombies, which is a game where he has to make a virtual garden and he has to create these plants that combat attacking zombies. <laughs> so that was really he fun. He actually did
0: a review on We Dig Plants <laughs> yes. several months ago. It was awesome. About that.
1: So I guess at any age level, you can find some kind of genre, you know, where plants figure some kind of, uh, find some literary inspiration. So I wanted to ask you, Margot, how did you, where did you find your inspiration for your book? How did you end up talking about this? Um, Well, I think
2: that my favorite writer of all time has to be Carlos Castaneda. Mm -hmm. So I love all of his books. Um, I've read them probably each four times throughout my life, and each time they mean something completely different. I think he his books got me interested in plants. I ended up doing my thesis on him, much to the dismay of the fiction department. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had an experience where... As an adult later in life, I went into psychotherapy, and my therapist had an office filled with plants. And whenever he wanted to say something that he wanted me to pay careful attention to, he wouldn't look at me. He'd just pick up a plant and take a small little nail scissor, and he would start cutting the plant, and I would just focus on the plant, and it would focus my attention, and I think I started to believe that the plants were kind of giving me the information instead of my psychotherapist.
0: <laughs> That's great. What a great story. Yeah. So
2: sort of like wanted to write something about plants, but I didn't really um, know exactly how to create the story. I would started out as an, a writer of erotica. Everything else I'd written was erotica, and I wanted to try something different and, and write a story about plants. It took me a while <laughs> to figure out how to get in, but I'd had all these different experiences.
1: That's interesting. So did you have, um, it's interesting, my second question was about Carlos Castaneda because there's a quote, at the very beginning of the book, and I was going to ask if, if he was an influence. So obviously he was, but yeah. I want to go down a different angle now. Let's talk about the erotica and how that... <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's no plants in that, but I'm thinking about it now. Well, no. In the in the plant world, there's a lot of erotica. <laughs> lot. Well, Allison and
1: I had a show, a show about sex in the garden, actually, really? and about... Um, you might find some inspiration there, maybe a little bit of something. But let's... I found the book you know, it wasn't an erotic novel and not intended to be, but it definitely had an enormous amount of sensuality in it. So now that I know a little bit more about your background, I could see it came very naturally to you, you know, to Um, talk about. Kind of, kind
2: of. (laughs) Uh, My erotica was all short story. Well, I'd Mm -hmm. written two novels that were not published before this one that were Mm -hmm. erotic novels. Um, And then all the short stories were erotica. And I really you know, in a way I didn't want to get pegged as that because I'd been doing that for so long and I was afraid that's exactly how I was going to be looked at. And I wanted to write something completely different, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it does have some central elements because I mean, that's part of the plant world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of life. And part of life. Exactly. Escape the two. It's in the
1: bees. Right. (laughs) That's right.
0: So what are the nine plants of desire in your book and how did you choose them? Well, I worked, I knew
2: that I wanted, I created a myth for the book. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to create my, my own myth for fun. So I knew that I wanted to have nine things that people wanted most. So I kind of worked backwards. I researched plants and found the plants that fit my myth. Mm-hmm. Instead That's interesting. Of doing it the other way around. So I did a lot of research on plants to find one that was about procreation, one that was about passion or love or money and fortune and things that people generally want <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. so um tell us what the nine plants are okay just botanically speaking <laughs> botanically speaking <laughs> which
2: i know really little about <laughs> um, there's the the gloxinia and if you do get the book there's pictures of each of the nine plants with yeah their they're, Latin b- they're beautiful name. drawings actually yeah. yeah they really did a great job with that Um, There's the Glauccinia speciosa, which is the mythical plant of love at first sight. Um, There's the Mexican cycad, which is the plant of immortality. In Mexico, they actually refer to that as the vampire plant. Is that right? Yeah, because they also believe it's a plant of immortality. Um, It's come straight from the Jurassic period, Mm -hmm. and nothing managed. All the things that killed the dinosaurs did not destroy this This plant, plant, so it's the plant of immortality. It can live through anything. Yeah. There's... um, I also lived in Mexico for a year and a half, so I did a lot of research while I was there. There's the cacao, which is the chocolate tree of food and fortune. The Olmec people used to use cacao as money. That's Mm -hmm. why it's considered the tree of fortune. Right. The moonflower, which is the bringer of fertility and procreation. Cannabis sativa in the form of sensimia, which is the plant of female sexuality. Lily of the valley delivers life force. And um, shamans in Mexico often use this to as a heart medication if they can't get digitalis
0: yeah lily of the valley is the most invasive plant in the <laughs> garden bed it's insane i didn't know that yeah yeah it's very invasive. It's, it's got a life for us it sure does man of its own
1: <laughs> careful what you wish for because it will spread yeah you know yeah and it's, it's uh,
0: interestingly enough, it's it's often commonly found in bridal bouquets.
2: <laughs> really? Yeah, it's like the number one bridal bouquet. In case he has a heart attack. <laughs>
1: <laughs> While at the altar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this will revive him. Yeah, <laughs> It's so interesting. I don't think of lily of the valley as like a subtropical kind of plant. I think of it as like a northern, under the maples, yeah. you know? Interesting. Really. Um,
2: yeah. No, it is. It's used as a heart medication. Foxglove, lily mm-hmm. of the valley, and, well, digitalis comes digitalis. From Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have the mandrake, which comes from Harry Potter. I think yeah. uh, J.K. Rowling used this plant as well. And this is considered the plant of magic. Supposedly, if you pull, they're in the shape of human beings. When you pull yeah. them out of the ground, they have, they scream. look like they have a head with hair and arms and yeah. legs. Yeah. They're and very human-looking. They and yeah. they scream. You're supposed yeah. to cover your ears when you pull them out of the yeah. ground. Yeah. Um, chicory which is the plant of freedom because you can it's supposed to open locks and also um, offers invisibility to people who spread the juice of the chicory plant on them
0: chicory to me also reminds me of highway driving as in like getting out of town (laughs) freedom (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's where it's found you know that's true (laughs) yeah Yeah,
1: and chicory to me reminds me of Cooking, because my, yeah. my mom would cook with it. She yeah. cooked the
0: greens. And flavored coffee down in New Orleans. That's There's right. It's very versatile. Yeah. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> um, and
2: Datura, Anoxia, is a plant of mind travel and high adventure. It was very funny. I was camping in southern Utah, and we set up the tent and everything, woke up in the morning, and there was a perfect Datura had come up overnight, right when we took the zipper down from our tent. Holy
0: cow. Wow. <laughs> that's a great plant yeah it's beautiful yeah very poisonous. poisonous poisonous yeah. yeah
2: um so those are the nine plants of desire and um there's a tenth plant but you'll have to read the book to find that. good out. plug yeah <laughs>
1: good. <laughs> so while we're on the subject of sensuality um and about characters mm-hmm. and tell us about armand for me he was like the most enigmatic and interesting character in the book and after I read a description of his laundromat, I thought, I want to recreate that laundromat. I want it to exist.
2: Well, that laundromat does exist. That's how this whole book started, actually.
1: wait. So tell me, where where is it? I want to go see it.
2: Well, the story of that is I was at a birthday party for my best friend on First Street and First Avenue, and um, the bar we were in, it was May, and the bar was really hot and sweaty, and we just wanted to go out for a walk, so we were walking down the block, and there was a laundromat to my right, and You know, there's a lot of laundromats there, so it was no big deal, except this one was filled with plants all across the ceiling, on top of the washing machines and dryers, (laughs) everywhere. So I really wanted to go in, and, you know, it was her birthday, and she's like, I'm not spending it in that laundromat. (laughs) So she went back to the party, and I went in, and it was really late, and it was open, which was also kind of odd. But the guy who owned it was there, and he was from Colombia. And I just started talking to him, and I was like, why do you have all these plants in here? And he said he grew up with a lot of plants. Uh, you know, he came from South America. He grew up with a lot of plants. And he thought that his laundromat, with all the heat from the dryers and all the mist from the washing machines, would yeah. make a good greenhouse. The
0: humidity, right. Yeah. And, right.
2: and the heat, you know, even uh-huh. in the winter, it's warm. Yeah. And he had windows. It was on the corner, so there were windows all around it for light. So he viewed his laundromat as a greenhouse with some clothes going around in circles. <laughs> that is brilliant. Yes. Oh, does it still exist? Well, um, the Wall Street Journal did an article on this, and I wanted him in it. So we went there to photograph, to do photos in the laundromat. Um, but unfortunately, he wasn't there that day. So we just did some photos in the laundromat. Uh-huh. Now the plants look a little, he, ma- he may have left because now the plants look a little wilted. Oh. Oh. They're all brown. There's a lot of them still in there, but they look like they're, 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 you know, they're kind of dying. So Hmm. he might have left.
0: Where's the love, Armand? (laughs) Seriously. So anyway,
2: Armand is my psychotherapist. And I combined him with the guy from the laundromat to make one
0: character. (laughs) Great, great. I love that. That's inspiration.
2: And uh, on the way home from that laundromat, it was really late at night, and I walked home. I live like eight blocks from there. And the whole book just downloaded right into my head like a computer program. Oh, awesome. That is incredible. I finally got my way into that story. Those plants were going to be in that laundromat. It finally like found the, the door into that.
1: Okay. Great. Yeah.
0: Well, we have to take a break. We'll be right back and we'd love for you to read some passages Great. from your book, Hot House Flowers. Thanks.
1: Welcome back to We Dig Plants on Heritage Radio Network. Of course, that was Desire by you 2 a very appropriate song. Uh, we have Margot Berwin with us, author of Hot House Fly- Flower and the Nine Plants of Desire. And Margo's going to read a passage from her book right now.
2: Okay, so I think I'm going to start reading, actually, the passage from Carlos Castaneda at the beginning of the book. because um, Because I put this in here to... I thought I had a great feeling, and I wanted my book to have the same feeling. Now, um, this is, of course, going to be a lot better than anything written in my book.
0: <laughs>
2: but he is my favorite writer. so Okay. Um, for me, the world is weird because it's stupendous, awesome, mysterious, unfathomable. My interest has been to convince you that you must assume responsibility for being here in this marvelous world, in this marvelous desert, in this marvelous time. I want to convince you that you must learn to make every act count, since you are only going to be here for only a short while. In fact, too short for witnessing all the marvels of it. And that's from the journey to Ixlon. Wow, worth reading.
1: Great and very appropriate uh, quote from the for this radio station, don't yeah. you think, Alice? Yeah, it's everything l- is short-lived. Yep, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, have you done some traveling? I think you mentioned uh, living in Mexico? Tell me about that and how it informed you know the book.
2: It was way before I wrote the book, but I ended up running away from a stalker. <laughs>
1: Okay, I have going to hear to this Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We have to hear this now. Go on.
2: <laughs> I just could not get away from this person. So I quit my job and I moved to Mexico with a friend of mine. for, And we planned on going for a month or two, but we ended up there for about a year and three months.
0: Oh, that's dreamy.
2: And we rented a house um, in the Yucatan Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Um, we we're living on the ocean we our neighbors were fishermen uh, a fisherman and his wife and they had children and he, we used to babysit the children and in return he'd give us fresh lobster oh <laughs> that God. he caught during the day so we had a good barter system going yeah, there that is it's like amazing. why leave <laughs> yeah why come back
0: to the stalker yeah right <laughs> when
2: i'm getting fresh lobster <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> in tropical paradise Alice, yeah. you can relate to that yeah <laughs> although the lobster down there is not my you know, New England lobster. It's not no, they're, they're very small. <laughs> they're different. <laughs> but living in a fishing village is a dream. So yeah, you pull them right out of the water. Yeah. You know. So they were very good.
2: And then later on, um, while I was writing the book, I went down to Guatemala to, for about six months.
1: hmm. Great. So you d- your description of the weary and plant-starved New Yorkers, I thought, was so right on. I think a lot of people could relate to your character and lacking space and lacking the experience. Alice and I found that most New Yorkers are really afraid of plants. They they have a real disconnect with their natural abilities to care for them I'm a, you know? I'm a black thumb We hear that, hear that all, yeah. stupid
0: oh, phrase We hear time. that a lot too
2: Or like yeah. I hate plants Like how can you hate plants I know, <laughs> you know? I know
1: They're dirty Yeah Yeah, <laughs> yeah And a lot of, oh my god A lot of times They're so um, So far removed You know Having lived in New York Most of their lives or in an urban They've never Even cared for a house plant Or they get yeah. it as a gift And they instantly kill it yeah. You know Yeah, yeah. But what was your relationship with plants before you wrote this book? Were you into plants? Did you did you like them? Or
2: I have always loved them. I didn't have them. Mm
1: -hmm. I've Mm -hmm. always
2: lived in really crappy, tiny apartments, and I'm not home a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But as I was writing this book, I had bought a bird of paradise from the Green Market in Union Square. I got completely talked into it by this guy (laughs) in the plant market. I was
0: like, he's he's cute, I'll buy that plant. (laughs) There's a lot of... at least it wasn't a dog.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So I bought this bird of paradise, and he told me it would never bloom because it wasn't going to bloom in in New York City, but um, that I should buy it, and it would live for about three months. So I bought it. It was about a foot tall at the time. And by the time... The plant did die. It was about ten feet tall, and I had moved everything in my apartment to make room for it. It was the leaves were blocking the television, the windows. I, you know, I didn't smoke in there anymore. I was like everything revolved around this thing. In my See, another example of how
0: plants come to rule. Yeah.
2: I loved that plant. I used yeah. to sit underneath it. It was so tall, I could actually sit underneath it and lean against the pot and write.
1: Nice. That is oh. a great story. Um, So um, there's a lot of, we were talking before, a lot of sensuality in the book. Let's talk about Diego. I'd like to know who inspired that character. <laughs>
2: Unfortunately, nobody in real life. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm still waiting.
1: Um, he was very... Go back to a, that, a, village, a that <laughs> village. He was very yeah. appealing sounding, Margo.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was He was a lot of wishful thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could really visualize him when I was reading it. Do you uh, need to be alone with the book? I know. It's like, I read it really fast. Well, you know, I was...
2: I was single, I was isolated alone in my apartment, because when I ride, it's a pretty isolating, you know, it's a pretty isolated. Um, yeah, it's, it's an individual sport.
0: <laughs> yeah, you need your space. Yeah, sure. so,
2: you know, I was able to create Diego. <laughs> Someone to keep me company in the apartment.
1: <laughs> and keep you warm. Yes. That- <laughs> <laughs> he was very, um, he sounded good. Underneath the bird of paradise. <laughs> yeah, it was, was
2: me, Diego, and the bird of paradise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as we said in the introduction, your book... Um, has been optioned for a movie. So I'm going to have to ask you the inevitable question, okay? Who do you want to play you, play Lila in the movie?
2: It's a really tough one. Um, Lila, first of all, I gave the, the character the name Lila because I went a little broke at the time, <laughs> the final time of writing this, the final chapters, I was just, hadn't worked in a while and I was a little bit broke. So I, uh, my friend Lila uh, has a beach house and she, Gave me a room for free to live in and finish the book in. Mm-hmm. So I named the protagonist after her.
0: Oh, great. Okay. Um,
2: what was the question?
0: Actress. What actress. <laughs> actress? I get asked that yeah. a lot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um,
2: I, don't, I don't really know. I, it would have to be someone who started out very urban and then became became able to live in in the jungle. I don't really, I'm not really big on actresses and stuff. I mean, who who would you think? Reese Witherspoon?
1: Yeah. Dakota I, Fanning? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it can't be Julia Roberts. That's so. who, that's who optioned it. But Julia yeah. Roberts
2: really is responsible for it getting bought as a movie. Really? I'll yeah. take that back. <laughs> because she has, an, she read the book and she has an apartment overlooking Union Square in Gramercy Park. Wow. And she was, she just related to it. Hmm. And she wanted Sony Pictures to buy it. So she actually pushed the whole thing. Wow. Through. So we that, love her. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so what about Armand? Who do you think would be a good Armand?
2: I asked Armand that himself. Um, we were thinking maybe Nicolas Cage.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: A weirder side of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah. He was thinking Jeremy Irons. I was like, no, he's way too serious.
1: Yeah, and I th- and he's older. And he's older, right? But I mean, Armand I
2: mean, himself is in his sixties, and I think Armand in the book is also was meant to be um, about in his sixties somewhere. Right. John it, Malkovich. John Malkovich would be oh, good. Yeah. I didn't think that about him. Yeah,
0: and that's why I was thinking of Catherine Keener. For the actress. Oh, Catherine Keene. Oh. I never she's thought very about urban, her. Yeah. But she has like this weird oh, kind a, of suburban side to her, too. Yeah, she could do that. She yeah. could do I love that. Her. <laughs> yeah. I think she could pull it and off. And they, they're good together on screen and being John Malkovich. They yeah. Were, you know? Yeah. Now, how about
1: Armand's wife? Let's Sonali. fantasize. Yeah. Sonali
2: was named for my friend Sonal. I just added an I at the end of her name. Um, Sonali. Everybody who's read the book has this idea that Sonali is um, Asian which I don't know. I
0: thought that too.
1: I'm not sure
2: why that's, that's happening. must be
1: the name, perhaps? I, yeah, I assume that too. I visualized a tiny little Asian woman.
2: That's funny. I, <laughs> I, I didn't picture that at all, but or, every single person thinks that, which is so odd to me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Or Indian. Like it yeah. could be like a British Indian. Maybe it was the name. <laughs> I don't
1: know. <laughs> Just throwing some stuff out there. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was picturing. Okay, and then finally, uh, Diego. Who can play Diego?
2: Hmm. I know who could play Diego. Everybody knows who could play Diego. Javier Bardem. Yeah. Oh, yes. Right. Who else? Right. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) That's true. That would be perfect.
1: So the character, Lila Nova, uh, do you think she's going to make another appearance in your work? Or do you think this is the end of her fictional life?
2: I think this this one was it. I actually finished my next book.
1: Oh great! I wrote
2: it um, down in New Orleans, and it came. the The publisher was sort of interested in my doing another one of this book, but that's just not what happened. It's not. What uh-huh. came, it's not what I, I was writing about. So that didn't happen. I mean, maybe it will at some point, but right. not right now. I
1: don't think. Yeah, it was such an interesting story, and she was such a interesting character. I wanted to know more. You know. <laughs> about what happened to her. And I understand the myth part, that it kind of came full circle and all that. You and know? I felt like
2: she, as far as like the writing of the book itself, mm-hmm. that she is probably the least developed character, which is, you know... I mean, I was trying to write a novel for the first time, and I was really focused on writing a story, because a lot of my previous work had been memoir. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to create a novel and a story, and, and I think the character of Armand came out extremely well, and Sonali. Lila, I would probably... Do slightly differently if I did continue this. Make her make the characterization a little bit stronger. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, let's hear. Let's have you read from your book. Let's end the show with um, another passage from the book in your own words.
2: Okay, I think I'll just start reading from the beginning of the book because I'm in New York and that part takes place in New York City. Yeah, and and we want
0: people to read the book. So yeah, yeah, okay. Um, So the
2: first chapter is called "Bird of Paradise" and it starts. Native of South Africa, member of the banana family, prized for its tall, highly colored structures, this plant is not for the easily disappointed, impatient, or bossy, as it can take seven years to produce a single bloom, perfect for the person who gives and gives without getting anything in return. You know who you are. And then that's the opening uh, little chapter blurb. Um, I inadvertently became interested in tropical plants because that's what the man at the Union Square Green Market sold me. I used to believe that sentence, but now I know better. Now I know that it was meant to be. Here's how it happened. I had just moved to 14th Street and Union Square into a small, newly renovated studio with absolutely no character. It was a square-shaped box with parquet floors, no molding, no details, white paint, and low ceilings. It was exactly the kind of apartment I wanted. Its newness meant that there were no memories trapped in the walls or the floorboards, No arguments or harrowing scenes of unrequited love staring at me from the bathroom mirror. It was brand new, just like I wanted my life to be. I thought a bit of foliage might spruce the place up, no pun intended, and add some much-needed color, so I walked across the street to the green market to make my purchase. The man at the plant stand was a throwback— He had streaky blonde hair and a dirt-colored tan that came from being outside all the time. In his worn-out flannel shirt and beat-up Timberlands, worn for work, not fashion, he stood out in stark contrast to the manicured metrosexuals perusing the market, wicker baskets in one hand, Gucci sunglasses in the other. This man was different. He was a rugged country sexual.
0: country sexual hey I think that's,
1: that's a, a, a good term <laughs> heritage radio needs to adopt that term wait a minute i think there's a lot of country sexuals here in bushwood i that's think there I are saying. i heritage was liking radio. the street here yeah.
0: <laughs> where timberlands are useful uh-huh. <laughs> and actually dirty or make that red wing
2: <laughs> i think i might have found my new neighborhood <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it's pretty good especially for plant people and yep. pizza <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well thank you margo for being on the show today and for sharing your story and and your wonderful book with us um we will post a link to your book's facebook fan page Thank so our you. listeners can continue to follow you and to see what other things you're working on Thanks. and um if there's anything anything happening that you'd like to share with us now uh, book tours or anything that you want to tell the audience
2: um no my book tour was is pretty much done it was last last year and it was It was a lot of fun, but it's over. (laughs) I'm sure you're glad about that. (laughs)
1: Um, I personally highly recommend the book, not just for plant lovers, but also just for Armchair travelers, and of course, the nature starved New Yorkers that surround us every day on the subway and the street. With their vacant <laughs> stairs. <laughs> they thinking need of, uh, Thinking they of do. jungle environments. That's right. That's Humidity. Jung- a greener, more moist jungle <laughs> right. than, than we have. Moist. Well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> moist. <laughs> thank you for listening to We Do Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. This show will be available for listening via archive at heritageradionetwork.com and also via podcast. Um, thank you to our sponsor, Cabot Cheese, to Jack Inslee for producing and Nat Wiener for engineering, and of course, to Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. See you in the garden or jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Margot. Thank you so much.